0: Do you remember where you were when you heard that CAA, the Landlord Association, was going to drop their opposition to the bill?
1: <laughs> um, there, there's not a bill that's worth fighting for that doesn't have some opposition. But it's always nice to hear that you've done work, and because of that work on addressing concerns, uh, opposition is uh, has peeled off.
0: That is such a tepid reaction. <laughs> <got it. laughs> no fist pump. <laughs> Welcome to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. This is Matt Levin, Dad and Housing Reporter with Cal Matters. And I am
2: Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles
0: Times. And today, Thursday, September 5th on the podcast, a rent cap deal with an uncertain fate. Ooh. Suspenseful. I, I actually think that there's a very good chance that this passes.
2: Yeah, but not certain.
0: Nothing's a hundred percent. No not a done deal. Right. Uh, what am I talking about, Liam? We are talking about the big news that happened at the end of last week where Governor
2: Gavin Newsom and legislative leadership announced that they had come to an agreement on a legislation that would cap rents statewide in California at 5% uh, rent increases, rather, 5% uh, plus inflation every year alongside some provisions to uh, prevent evictions.
0: This was a bill that before this announcement um, had a very, very, very uncertain fate. Um, had a lot of stringent opposition to it, and some of that opposition has disappeared. And some of it
2: now has. Rematerialized. Rematerialized. It's quite a, quite a, quite a scene with this thing. Yes. Uh, but uh, what Matt is alluding to is as part of this deal, uh, landlords, who obviously you're generally the ones who don't like rent caps, have decided uh, through the reorganization, the California Apartment Association, to drop their opposition to the bill. Uh, however,. Um, Another group that's very important in uh, housing politics, the California Association of Realtors, which was uh, not opposed
0: to the prior version of the bill,
2: now is back in opposition.
0: Yes. And we have the perfect guest to talk about the shifting political waters. With a rent cap bill, and that guest is
2: the author of the rent cap bill, uh, Assemblyman David Shu from San Francisco,
0: making his return to the podcast. I think
2: he's one of the few double, double, twice, two-time guests. One
0: of the first guests too, indeed. And we'll not only be talking about this rent cap bill with him, but uh, some of the other housing legislation he has and has not been able to get through the Capitol. Mm -hmm. First, real quick announcement: the live podcast event featuring Mayor Libby uh, Schaaf, Oakland. Yes, not the mayor of California, right. just for clarification, uh-huh. um, has sold out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was free, to be clear. Well, I um, yeah, mean, still. Yeah. But yeah, at capacity, let's say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The acapella group that you and me uh, started <laughs> recently, we never sell out. No. And,
2: Barbershop duet. Yes. No. We can't
0: get anyone to join us. <laughs> Can't get two more, two (laughs) more members. So thank you to all of you that registered for the event. We're excited to do it.
2: Yep, and that uh, that's coming up really soon. Yeah, in a couple weeks.
0: Yeah, September eighteenth, the lunch hour, and Mm -hmm. it will be a live podcast. So you know you will get to hear it if you can't attend it in person. That's right. Okay, now let's move to the most popular segment in all of California Housing Podcastery. It is the avocado of the fortnight. Our look at the most absurd housing story of the last two weeks, and this and this one. You wrote. Comes from me. Yes. Comes from me. So tell us uh, the most
2: uh, avocado-y element of the fact that young people still live with their parents.
0: Ooh, um, that's a tough one. Well, just to take a step back, I wrote and produced a radio story looking at the high percentage of young Californians who still live with their parents. It's 37%. So what's young here? 18 to 34-year-olds.
2: Wow. So that's a lot. It's more than a third.
0: Yeah. I was doing the math there. Almost two fifths. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It is a lot. Yeah. And then some people will be like, well, you know, 18 and 19 year olds. I'm sure that's a lot of it. If you just look at 25 to 34 year olds, 25%. One out of every four. A quarter. Yeah. Still a lot. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. So obviously high housing costs play into that. I'm going to play the audio for this story, which aired on public radio stations across California as part of the California Dream Project. And then I will answer the uh, what's the most avocado part of this story question.
2: More suspense. From KQED. Nearly 40% of California's 18- to 34-year-olds still live with their parents. That's a statistic that makes you wonder, what's it like to date when you're in your 20s and still living at home? And where do you get intimate if mom and dad are just down the hall? As part of our California Dream Project, CalMatters reporter Matt Levin asked younger Californians how they're adapting to this new normal. And just a heads up for parents, this story does contain
1: some references to sex.
0: (laughs) It's a Saturday night at Patsy's Irish Pub in Mission Viejo, a wealthy part of Orange County. Patsy's looks like a lot of other California bars in 2019. Off-key karaoke, a crowd of people vaping outside, and loads and loads of 20 and 30-year-olds who still live with their parents. I'm here right now getting drunk with my mom. Jacob Ostheimer is 24. He lives with his mom and stepdad. So does his wife, who right now is on the dance floor with the rest of his family. We had an apartment here for like two years, but I was spending like 30 a year in rent. And I could have I had that in my savings right now. In this part of Orange County, 55% of 18 to 34-year-olds live with their parents, one of the highest rates in the state. Drop an IPA randomly inside Patsy's and you're bound to splash a millennial still living with their parents, like Remy.
1: My older sister and her boyfriend also live with us, and my sister's 28.
0: Remy's 25 and says her parents invited her and her boyfriend to live with them, and her sister, and her sister's boyfriend. Even though it's a pretty full house, Remy says she and her boyfriend can be intimate pretty much like any other couple. We have a downstairs bedroom. Everyone's upstairs. They really stay out of our way and don't really, like, care what we do. In my day, one never took a boy home. Never. Helen Fisher is a senior research professor at the Kinsey Institute who studies love and sex. She says parents are a lot more permissive these days. Some people will be very pleased with it because they get to know their child in a new way and they get to know some of the people that they are going around with, Their helicopter parents. But not every parent is okay with it, which means some young Californians living at home are resorting to a tried and true form of privacy. A Hyundai, sedan.
1: Small, it's very small compact
2: really.
0: Vicky and her boyfriend Logan stand in a parking lot at Sacramento State University across from the football field. Vicky and Logan aren't their real names. We changed them for obvious reasons.
1: When we first started dating, I guess, um, we would spend a lot of time here. We would park. We would probably stay till like three in the morning.
0: In Sacramento County, about a third of 18 to 34 year olds still live at home. Vicky is 22, in college, and her parents are uncomfortable with the thought of Logan staying over for the night.
1: I would say I was studying and, I don't know, they probably think I'm such a good student.
0: <laughs> Vicki and <laughs> Logan's parking spot is actually the exception, not the rule. Sex researcher Fisher says public sex is likely down among millennials in Generation Z because sex is just down for those age groups overall. And in an expensive state like California, moving out is no guarantee your love life will improve. Ian Baker works two jobs here in Orange County, one of them at this bowling alley. He's 29.
1: Uh, I've been uh, out of my mom's for a little
0: over a year now. And how many dates have you gone on in that year? (laughs) Absolutely zero. Ian has two roommates. He pays about $700 a month in rent. Uh, Living
2: with my parents, it actually wasn't that hard to try to meet girls and whatnot. Honestly, it became harder
0: when I moved out. Just because of the fact that in order to move out, you know, I had to start working two jobs. The irony isn't lost on Ian, but he does have a step up on one of his roommates, the one who lives in the living room.
1: Well, I mean, like I said, at least I have a door. He doesn't, so I think it's a little bit harder for him.
0: In Orange County, I'm Matt Levin.
1: That story was part of our
2: California Dream Project.
0: All right. I like well, how you had the
2: little uh, strike thing at the end there. Oh, sound thank sound you. Effect. Yeah. 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 It's, That's cu- a, it's a satisfying sound. It is very mm-hmm. much so. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I had to lean in with my audio equipment and mm. be like, can I record you bowling? <laughs> and um, it was mostly people younger than me. Right. And uh, they thought it was a weirdo. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so to answer your question, yes. um, the most avocado y part of this was, you know, I went into this thinking, all right. Uh, 37% of 18 to 34-year-olds live with their parents. Where are they having sex?
2: I guess that's one way to go.
0: Well, that is a logical question. Yes. For, yeah. you know.
2: might not be the first thing that comes to mind for me, but yeah. interesting it is for you.
0: And just for context, Liam yeah. is a very sex-negative person. <laughs> so this was a fun one for the data nerds out there. The type of analysis I did at the geographic level I did, looking at where 18 to 34-year-olds in California live with their parents, had not been done before, at least I couldn't find it. Hmm. Looked at it at the PUMA level, public use microdata area Kay. using IPUMS data. Yep. Uh, there are people head, following man. along who are not in their heads smiling right now. Um, and I looked at those areas that had the highest rates and lo and behold, Mission Viejo, 55%. So I call the Mission Viejo chapter, I get division of the Orange County Sheriff's Department and I say, you guys getting complaints on young people having sex outdoors or having sex in cars? And uh, they say, no. And I say, okay. And they say, but you may want to check out Patsy's. And I say, are people having sex there? And they say, no, that's just where all the young people who live at home hang out. So your
2: tip was the the sheriff's department told you to go to the bar?
0: No. Oh. Then I started calling motels. And I was like, do people go there? You know, you're seeing a bunch of young people go there so they can rent a room and- I got someone to say, yeah, but it doesn't really, it's not a huge portion of our clientele, but you should go to Patsy's. (laughs) So I go to Patsy's. Threw back a few? No, did not drink when I was there. Okay. Didn't ask permission, just came in there with my uh, recorder and the first person I talked to, I go, hey, do you live at home? Um, And he goes, nope, but you're gonna find a lot of them here. And I go, okay, go back out, dude's vaping. Uh, I'm like, hey, do you live at home? He's like, yep, so does my wife, she lives with me a lot of people lived at home who were Went drinking to in that bar. Yes. Yeah. And the most avocadoy part I would say was the mom of a of two girls in their mid twenties, two women in their mid twenties who still lived with her. She was probably in her 40s or 50s, I would say. Yeah. And I asked her, okay, well, how is this affecting your sex life? And she said, well, what happens to the parents' sex life when the 24 and the 25-year-old are still there?
2: Yeah, it's like 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And it's fast.
0: There's, there's more non-sex-related stuff <laughs> in this story. I made some maps, which are cool. You should check them out. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's, that's the Avocado of the Fortnite brought to you by <laughs> me. This time, fun story to do. Let's move on to the to the topic du jour, which is this rent cap deal that yeah. came across my inbox at the Friday before Labor Day weekend at six thirty 7, seven p.m.
2: Seven thirty. Believe me, I know all these times very very well. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so I, I saw it and I was like they're putting this out now. (laughs) And I was literally had like two or three drinks in me at that time. Yeah. well, Um,
2: It must've been nice.
0: So where do you want to start with this? Should we just go over the details of the the, the agreement and who was involved first? Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the kind of the drama surrounding uh, what happened?
2: Yeah. So um, we had known, I think a big break in this uh, issue um, uh, was early August when the governor comes out and says, uh, Hey, they're just rent cap bill. What do you think about it? And he goes, It's fine, but I think it should be stronger, which was surprising uh, given that he had not sort of weighed in in a really aggressive way earlier other than saying he'd like something to be passed.
0: Sure. And Um, adding fuller context into that, go all the way back to his state of the state in February where he called for tenant protections to be sent his way but was not specific in terms of what he actually wanted on his desk, exactly. So, uh, with the governor kind of, uh,
2: with, you know, the eyeing this but not really engaged in it, um, you know, you saw this bill kind of get progressively weaker and weaker and weaker as it moved through through the process. At one point, um, earlier in the spring, it, the bill looked roughly like what we see now in that it was a um, rent cap of 5%, uh, allowing for an increase of 5% plus inflation for, uh, I believe it was for a decade uh, uh, as well, an earlier version. and so that's what we're at now. But that was not, you know, not good enough uh, at, at the time for it, for it to advance. It got out uh, of the assembly in a pretty, pretty weak way, uh, which was 7 percent, uh, allowing for a rate increase of 7 percent plus inflation for only three years. Yep. Uh, and so that's kind of the state that the governor uh, saw it in. And he said, uh, actually, I want that stronger. And so what that uh, kind of kicked off was a, um, you know, two, three week negotiation to, to get things where they were. Yeah. Um, Friday, Friday is our um, last Friday, as our podcast listeners will remember, was the suspense day, right, where bills sort of uh, uh, live or die very, very quickly. This bill um, advanced out of the Appropriations Committee, uh, Senate Appropriations Committee, but was kicked to a separate committee, which really gave an indication that things were very much afoot to change this bill. Yeah. But I was surprised uh, that things were kind of being kind of wrapped up really quickly.
0: Well, to yeah. to your point there, when mm-hmm. it got kicked to rules, the rules committee, which right. was... It's
2: the place you park things. Yes, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. When
0: you need to do some more work on it. Right. We need to slide under the hood yep. to to fix some mm-hmm. things. And there were two interpretations of that. One was, well, they could weaken this even more, right. and that's why it got kicked. Yeah. Or, because of what Newsom said in his newfound involvement, mm-hmm. they're going to change this to be even stronger than it was. And yep. that was ultimately... The case. And so now the bill as it stands, not only is the rent cap tighter, yeah. and we should also say tighter than the Oregon rent cap, which we talked about at length in a previous podcast, right. there's just cause eviction protections in this yeah. that have a much, much, much better chance of passing than they did before the governor got engaged Exactly
2: so uh, we're sort of waiting It's Friday, so a Friday afternoon uh, this, this bill gets kicked over to this committee where you park things and then all of a sudden you start I started hearing rumblings that oh there's actually a deal now uh, And so we were kind of extending into the Friday before Labor Day which is usually a time when you want to bury news that's not good uh, but here we're get the point where you know the governor wanted uh, wants the deal to be done to announce it quickly. And so here we are, you know, Um, so what happened was uh, as part of this deal, the Landlord Association, the California uh, Apartment Association, decides to remove their opposition, which is obviously a huge, huge. deal. Um, and let's take a step back further for for context here. Remember, less than a year ago, they and their coalition supporters spent $80 million to defeat a ballot initiative that would uh, have uh, allowed for the expansion of uh, of rent control across the state for less than a year later to say— Uh, We're not opposed to some sort of limit on rents. It's a huge uh, turnabout and change in kind of political fortune, I would say.
0: Oh, I I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, There's, yeah. That, out of everything that happened, that's what caught me most by surprise, which was, wow, CAA's off this. Right. Um,
2: And so, you know, and they got off, they, you know, were supporting roughly, again, the same bill that they were very much opposed to back back in the spring. And so I had a conversation, um, you know, this week with uh, Deb Carlton, who has been on the podcast before. um, uh, She's a senior vice president of the Department of Association, asking sort of what sort of happened here. And um, I guess the biggest takeaway for me was that she was concerned and the apartment system was concerned that if they did not engage on the bill and did not try to get some of their input into it, then they were afraid it was going to pass without their their involvement, which would have created a lot of headaches for them.
0: And part of the reason that they thought that might happen um, was because some of the other opposition to the bill— Um, had been whittled away even before Newsom got really, really involved. There are three specific organizations that oppose many tenant bills at the same time, typically. And those are the Apartment Association that we talked about, the landlords, Mm -hmm. the California Realtors, which we will talk about, and you briefly mentioned earlier on, Mm -hmm. and then the uh, Building Industry Association, which is the Association of Developers. Yes, The developers came off... A previous version of this bill, so announced that they weren't opposing this bill. What a couple weeks back?
2: Yeah, once they got a, their a carve out that exempted um, new uh, uh, apartments that were built within the last 15 years. They That's had previously right. Previously, been 10. That uh, Simon Chu agreed to move it to 15, and they said, "Okay, fine, we'll come off it." Yes, and again, come off for opposition.
0: The developer's concern here, which is one of the most. Um, compelling arguments against rent control broadly in a yes. state with a housing shortage is if you implement something like this, even if it's 5% plus inflation, and you apply it to new units, that's going to be a big disincentive to build. Right. And so when CBIA got the 15 years and pulled out, that was a big, big deal. And it only left, um, at that time, the Apartment Association on its own. But then- Things flipped. Then things flipped.
2: So as part of the agreement to move the bill out of the assembly back in the spring, back when uh, uh, Chu was weakening uh, the bill, he was doing it at the behest of the Realtor Association, which agreed to drop its opposition with a rent cap of 7% plus inflation for only three years, what the bill was in that prior state. Of course, when the new language comes out and it's very different than what the realtors had agreed to, they're now like, hey, hey, what about my deal? What's up? What about my deal? Not here anymore. And so they now, um, and I uh, timed this, uh, went back through my email at, at 9 o'clock. So an hour and a half after uh, the announcement was made uh, that this uh, by the governor last Friday, the realtors came out and said, no, we don't like it. We're strongly opposed. And it looks like they're going to continue to fight this. It's certainly reasonable uh, if, I'm, if I'm anybody in the world who makes an agreement with somebody and then six months later uh, someone's like, nah. Don't. Now I'm going to blow this agreement up. It's surely reasonable to be mad about that Um, and then to, you know, try to to try to sink whatever deal that that is. And that makes perfect sense. Yes. But if you look at the policy in this bill now, it's uh, I mean, the the bill, you know, touch does not really touch single family um, home rentals uh, exempts us from them them from the rent cap unless they're owned by sort of corporations institutional investors right your 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 invitation homes um, these sort of you know uh, corporations and so the the landlords seem to be the one that are kind of most directly affected by this more so than the realtors yet we're at a position now where the realtors are the ones who are uh, opposed whether the landlords are not and that seems you know to be a, a kind of strange uh, situation that's emerged
0: yeah, so there's, there's another uh, wrinkle here to why the realtors are so opposed to this beyond the kind of political payback portion of yeah. it or you reneged on this right. how dare you um, which is a, a lot of realtors end up being apartment managers
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, during the course of their career I guess um, so that's with the just cause eviction protections being included, that's a concern among some of the members of the realtors lobby. But you're right. It does show you how strange housing politics are here in California.
2: Well, I was going to say this is part of, you know, the the it, it is it is strange. And we get into this with the interview with and uh, 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 Chu, that um you know the governor getting in. It's very rare at this point in the in the in the in the legislative calendar for bills to get stronger. Yeah, and that's because the g- governor kind of came in and did did what he did. But when those sorts of things happen in the way that they do, you, you, it's not shocking to have kind of real, just kind of
0: scrambled politics around that
2: because it didn't really follow the normal the normal time it's frame true. that these bills uh,
0: tend to have. That's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much of a chance do you think the realtors have of sinking this bill?
2: Well, I think you know. Uh, I mean, let's remember back in uh, uh, just uh, the, the, the pure facts of the matter. Uh, back in the spring, this advanced out of the assembly by three votes with 18 Democrats voting no or
0: abstaining from the bill. And that bill did not have the just cause eviction protection. And not only that, it was
2: the weaker rent cap. And so you now have a stronger bill. Um, granted, there's a different coalition in, in support of it uh, at a different time. But a, a weaker version of the bill, much weaker. Uh, barely made it, and now you have a much stronger version, uh, and your margin of error, if you will, is pretty thin.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the argument that the realtors have has taken a significant blow with the withdrawal of opposition from CAA, the Apartment Association, and the developers. If you're going to get up there and say, this is going to disincentivize the new, new right. homes right. and the builders oh, aren't saying that right that's a harder you, argument it's make. that's a tough argument to make yes yeah um that being said the realtors are a huge contributor to the State Democratic Party to individual Democrats in the legislature were very involved in actually some of the congressional races. Yeah. Um so they they are, you know, lawmakers are very conscious of that. And they're
2: also they, one of the few industry groups where they have like individual a lot members of individual in the district in the di- in every single district who are, you know, tend to be engaged, right, politically.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah. So just elaborating on that. When they when the builders blast out to their members hey everybody call about this right. it it's not going to produce actually that many calls it'll right. produce calls from you know from rich people with, right. with influence <laughs> right. but not a lot not not a ton of calls right. to support a bill to a legislator when the right. realtors blast out something yeah. all the realtors in all of these legislative districts that um, they need to influence they they inundate them with emails and phone calls mm-hmm. yeah Okay. Uh, How big a deal is this? I think it's a really big deal. I think it's a really
2: big Uh, deal, too. Yeah. I mean, I was uh, at a story that just published um, that kind of explains in in more detail some of the the facts behind this and some of the politics behind it. But remember, you know, this would be uh, California, if this passes, would be the third state this year to pass a significant limit on rent increases um, in the country. Uh, Oregon did it, as we mentioned, and we have a whole podcast on what they did um but this would be a tighter rent cap uh more restrictive than what oregon did although oregon's was permanent california's would be temporary 10 years right um also um uh new york state um very much tightened their rent control rules in new york city and also allowed for the expansion of that in in other cities around the state but it's not as statewide as california's would be um and so Uh, This is, you know, this is a really big deal, particularly given the context of not only initiative that failed um, last year, but the long history of uh, the legislature, um, you know, pretty much smacking down any uh, efforts at uh, increasing uh, protections for renters.
0: Yes. And then policy wise, in terms of its impact on tenants. You know, the data on this is uh, tough for the public to access. You know, what you really want to know is the number of uh, housing units in California that have seen an increase over right. 5% plus inflation. Right. And the landlords have that data. It's proprietary, though. It's, it, you can kind of get at it with public data, but it's, it, it's not that great. Yeah. Um, but with that tied to cap, you know, at least some of the more egregious stories of rent increases that go, that double you know, a 50% rent increase overnight, right? Right. You won't, you won't see that anymore. That,
2: and I do want to mention, and we get, I had to ask this in the interview as well. I I have heard, and I think it's credible uh, given the amount of people who have told me this, both economies, economists rather, and landlords is that there could be some perverse incentive here uh, for landlords to increase rents at a more regular rate uh, year over year uh, out of concern that uh, with a limit that if something happened uh, and they, or, you know, They would not be able to increase rents all at once, Uh, and so I would not be shocked if there is, uh, if uh, you know, instead of seeing maybe uh, 10% one year, you may see you know 3% over three years or something like that. Yeah. Um. And I think that's certainly a a potential, uh, you know, outcome of this uh, of this legislation.
0: Yeah, and also it's important to keep in mind that 5% plus inflation. If you look at the median household income in California, yeah. Seeds, yeah. yeah, it does not grow that fast. Exactly. So mm-hmm. So I want to circle back actually to what the apartment association, the landlord association, got out of this. Yeah, and let's talk about the 2020 ballot initiative that Michael Weinstein and the AIDS Healthcare Foundation um, will likely put on the ballot.
2: So they're collecting signatures now to kind of redo uh, an, a different version, but uh, of, of a rent control initiative uh, uh, from what the one that was that failed yeah. uh, by by 20 points uh, last year. This uh, uh, you know would be much stricter. Than uh, the rent cap that would that passed. Weinstein has said on multiple occasions that he'd be willing to pull his initiative if uh, the legislature passes some uh, strong tenant protections. Uh, I talked to him last Friday night when this deal was announced. He said this is not nearly enough, um, and in fact, still opposes. uh, Not only is neutral uh, or doesn't oppose it, uh, actually actively opposes this as as not strong enough. And so he's still moving forward with it. Um, And that said, to me, you know, uh, no one, no one in the legislature. Well, the governor doesn't want a ballot measure. The industry certainly doesn't want another, another ballot measure, even though I think the industry is, is reasonably confident that they'll you know be able to pony up and and, and potentially defeat it again. Yeah. Uh, but they don't want that risk, nor do they want to pony up tens of millions of dollars. right? And so I, you know, uh, given the, the few things landlords got out of this deal, I thought one thing that they might have been able to get, which is a value, is uh, potentially an agreement from the governor uh, to oppose the new initiative. I asked, um... That to uh, Deb Carlton, uh, did the governor uh, agree to oppose the, the initiative for next year? Uh, no comment is, is, uh, is uh, or rather, I, I want to be more specific. Did the landlord position ask him to do that? Uh, and no comment was the answer, was the answer that I got. Okay. I asked the governor's office and they did not give me a response, but I think it's a reasonable thing to think could have been on the table as part of these negotiations.
0: Sure. I, I think it's also important to keep in mind that Newsom opposed quietly Prop 10. The the rent control initiative from 2018. Mm -hmm. Just beyond what may or may not have been promised to the Apartment Association, do you think that if this legislation passes in and of itself, that that helps or hurts the prospects of another rent control initiative next year?
2: I think it hurts it. I think it hurts and it, and it too. And I think that's another another reason why uh, Weinstein is is uh, in opposition to this um, uh, bill is that it could take some wind out of the sails. Yep. Or. Um, provide an argument uh, by that landlords could use. Look, we've already done something yep. in this space. you know we are listening or we we agree with you, you know, thirty percent of rent increases are too high, et cetera. Um, and so no no need for this tighter rent control measure.
0: yep, I, I think that's exactly right. I'm also curious how it how it will affect local rent control campaigns.
2: Yeah, but you look at Sacramento's is funny, the local local Sacramento one, they had come to an agreement on a rent cap. Of uh, six percent plus inflation, yeah. And now
0: the statewide one is going to be if it passes, will be stronger than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so there's a week left of the legislative session. It ends on September 13th. What what happens next with Choose Bill?
2: So if the bill uh, formally goes into print uh, or or Thursday or Friday, I'm not exactly sure when the when the clock is going to consider to 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 be started on that. But under legislative rules, you cannot vote on a bill until it's been in print for three days. And so uh, that means that we're not going to see a vote uh, on this until next week Um, and then uh, there's a clock that stops the changes from that same rule. If there, any other last-minute changes to this cannot happen after September 10th, yeah, right. So that means two votes still have to happen. Has to be in the Senate. Has to be in the Assembly. And so we'll know for sure the bill is final by September 10th, uh, and then it'll be a you know a sprint to to the finish. The Senate vote comes first, then back to the Assembly.
0: Yes, um, it'll and be.
2: I, and I would expect the, the more difficult to vote vote to be in the Assembly. Yes,
0: yes, where there's a lot of moderate members, and where we already saw this legislation had a very, very tough time getting through previously. Yes. Okay, um, let's talk with, as you called him, the man of the hour, Assemblyman David Chu from San Francisco.
2: We are here with Assemblyman David Chu, a Democrat who represents San Francisco. Assemblyman, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks for having me back. Yes. Yeah, so uh, you are the, the man of the hour, uh, the author of the uh proposed rent cap and uh anti-eviction legislation uh, ab 1482
1: uh big changes happened to it last week um how did they come about it's been an exciting week. Uh, this past Friday, Governor Newsom uh, and the top leadership of the Assembly and the Senate, uh, we announced uh, the uh, the newly revised legislation. Um, and as you can imagine, this has been a year-long conversation plus, uh, really building on the fact that the rent is too damn high. We have millions of Californians who are one rent increase away from Eviction and homelessness. Folks were struggling on the streets uh, because they were subjected to 10, 20, 50, 100 percent rent increases, um, and uh, the process has been uh, has been a windy one to get where we are. But uh, I'm really pleased with where the bill is at this time, and want to thank the governor, Democratic leadership, and 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 many stakeholders who have engaged with us in in the process. Uh, would you like me to talk about what the bill does? Uh,
2: Sure. So the
1: bill has uh, two halves to it. Um, The first half addresses rent gouging, uh, what happens when a landlord wants to uh, increase the rent in egregious ways. Uh, We've had a law on the books in California after wildfires and earthquakes that prevent price gouging, uh, prevents prices from being raised more than 10% a year uh, around consumer goods. Given the emergency we have around housing uh, and the crisis we're in, uh, we propose that there be a cap on rent increases of the consumer price index plus five percent, which is roughly seven to eight percent a year, uh, and that's the 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 top level uh, part of the, the the rent cap part of the bill. Uh, the other half of the bill addresses the fact that for millions of tenants, uh, you can get evicted for any reason. A landlord doesn't have to give you a paper that articulates what you violated in a lease or why you're being evicted. Uh, And this has led to tremendous instability for millions of tenants. Uh, And we wanted to make sure that just as a tenant has to abide by the terms of a lease, uh, that landlords have to have uh, a real reason, a just cause, before they evict you. Um, And these two parts put together uh, hopefully mean that uh, tenants are being protected against uh, skyrocketing rent increases as well as uh, unjustified uh, evictions. It's a big deal. It's something we need because tenants are are suffering. Uh, We're seeing double-digit homeless levels in every city in the state. Uh, it's, uh, It's an incredibly difficult time for millions of renters in California.
2: So, so it's, it's rare. Sorry, it's rare no, at, at uh, this point in the legislative process to see a bill getting stronger rather than weaker. Yep. Usually, as you bills move through, they get weaker, and this is what had happened mm-hmm. to, to to your bill from the beginning: mm-hmm. uh, get weaker and weaker and weaker. But here, it's stronger. You know, a tighter cap than was previously mm-hmm. in the bill, also mm-hmm. for a longer period of time. Um, how did that happen?
1: So uh, we started with. What we thought was a strong renters' bill, uh, in fact, we started with a proposed cap of the consumer price index, plus 5%. As we went through a challenging legislative process in a state capital that has not been historically friendly to the needs and the plights of of struggling tenants. Uh, We were forced to uh, agree to different changes to the bill. This is the political process. Um, And uh, some of these changes happened uh, on the floor of the assembly. Some of these changes happened as we were going through the Senate. Uh, And then a couple weeks ago, we were surprised when Governor Newsom at a press conference uh, referenced this bill, said he supported the concept of what we were trying to do, but said he thought it could be made stronger. And uh, he and his office have engaged very intensely in the last couple of weeks uh, to work with us on this bill uh, and have helped to strengthen it. Uh, it was a, a pleasant surprise of uh, uh, of the engagement of our state's chief executive officer. Uh, and uh, here we are today. So, um, you know, again, uh, grateful to the, the coalition that we've built, uh, but in particular to Governor Newsom for his engagement. Why were you surprised? Uh we were surprised because the bill had been moving through the process, and and we had gotten some feedback from the governor's office. But uh, the governor has been very busy; uh, a lot of things on his plate. Uh, and uh, we we didn't expect uh, two weeks ago that the governor was going to say that uh, that you know he liked the bill but wanted to get stronger. Um, they had some very particular thoughts on the direction the bill should go, and and those are. Things that we had originally in the bill that had been taken out uh, that we now put back, like the fact that initially we were at a consumer price index plus five standard, then it was moved to CPI plus seven. Now it's back to five. Uh, Initially, the bill had started without a sunset date because we thought this could apply to California uh, for the long term, just as the California price gouging statute has been in the books since the 1870s. through the process, the sunset date was whittled down to a three-year sunset date. And so uh, the bill right now has a 10-year sunset date, which many housing advocates and the housing industry will tell you is necessary to provide some certainty to housing investors who want to build housing so they know what the rules are for the next decade and and they know what uh, their investment is going to lead to.
0: Um, Was it advantageous that Newsom came in on this when he did or would it have been more helpful if he was more engaged earlier in the process?
1: Listen. Of course, we would all be happy to have uh, as much engagement as early as possible. But uh, but Governor Newsom is in the first. He's in his first term. He's been thrown an awful lot. Uh, He had to uh, address his first budget, uh, move forward a a significant landmark wildfire uh, legislation to address the fires around the state, and a myriad of other things. Um, And his staff had been engaged uh, through the process. But uh, as is the case with many bills. Once you get close to the finish line, governors take a a real hard look at what you're doing, make an assessment. We had gone to them and say, we hope you're cool. Uh, And then the word came down that uh, he wasn't exactly cool with all elements of the bill. and, uh, And we adjusted.
0: Um, I want to talk about the ever-shifting opposition to this bill. Which or the is...
1: ever-shifting support of the bill.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: or neutrality. Yes. Yes, yes. yes.
0: Yes. As it stands right now, two key organizations that previously opposed this measure, the California Apartment Association, which represents landlords across the state, and CBIA, the Developers Association, are backing off opposition to the bill. They're They're neutral. Why do you think they have taken away their opposition to this?
1: We work really hard to address the real concerns that have been raised by by different stakeholders. And I'll mention a few uh, that relate to those parties that, that we think probably brought them to support. So there had been an ongoing concern with this bill that somehow if you establish even a Uh, say an 8 or 10 percent rent cap, uh, that that might create a disincentive to new construction. And uh, as the chair of the Assembly Housing Committee, the last thing I want to do is author a bill that would have any impact on creating incentives for new housing construction. Um, And so through the process, we initially had not had uh, an exemption for new construction, uh, but we were persuaded uh... initially by the realtors in the assembly to establish a 10-year exemption for new construction and then in conversations with the building industry led by the california building industry association uh, we came to, to believe that 15 years was probably the appropriate number. There's been a lot of debate on what that number should be. Mm-hmm. Some say 10, some say 20. CBIA agreed with us that 15 was probably the right place, and they've just articulated that this that's past rolling. week. And uh, rolling. And this would be rolling. Yeah. So the idea is, uh, for anyone who's thinking of investing in new construction in California, this bill would not apply for those first 15 years to help you recoup the costs of that investment. So I think, for the building industry, that was, that was critical uh... for the california apartment association and landlords and others um, we had discussions on some of the elements of, of just cause, of how and under what circumstances a landlord could evict a tenant. There are uh, 17 cities in California that already permit this, uh, have these rules, like my city in San Francisco, and it's worked just fine. Uh, there were uh, uh, there were many hypotheticals that were brought up by the landlord and apartment association world. We addressed it. Uh, we, we made some tweaks to the legislation uh, that uh, tenant advocates and progressive equity groups were able to come to an agreement with, uh, with other landlord and apartment association groups. And so those groups that had been mightily opposing this bill earlier in the process very much appreciate the fact that they are now neutral on the bill.
2: Uh, there was a group that was neutral on the bill that has now uh, gone in opposition after the deal was announced. They're a very powerful group. You referenced the Association of Realtors. Why do you think that they, uh, that they uh, have now taken the position they have?
1: Well, it's a good question. Um, We had uh, been engaging with uh, the real estate industry, uh, particularly in the first half of the legislative uh, process. Uh, and had uh, been working out uh, trying to work through different different issues um, I have to admit uh, you know, their current opposition from my perspective at this moment is a, is a bit mystifying because I believe very much that this bill um, it addresses the concerns that have been raised and that they are even raising right now uh, the bill uh, does not apply to single-family homes uh, and to to condos uh, which are the bread and butter of the industry so put in other way, this bill really doesn't apply to their industry and what is sold by by realtors. And the irony is, uh, at least what we're hearing from a lot of local realtors around the state, is they're parroting the arguments that were used by the opposition a couple months ago, uh, who are no longer opposing the bill. Yeah. Uh, and I think we have addressed point by point all of the issues that have been raised. So uh, so uh, you know, grateful to the realtors for their engagement through the process. I do think the bill as it stands really does address uh, the real concerns that we should think about. Uh, and then fundamentally, this is a bill about protecting tenants, about making sure uh, that we have Californians who are able to live in their homes, hopefully save enough money so that someday they can put a down payment and purchase their own home. And that is what, uh, you know, that's that's the California dream uh, that we want to bring back that is right now being very uh, threatened by by the housing crisis, the rental crisis, the eviction crisis.
0: I want to get back to the landlords actually backing off on this bill. So, earlier in this legislative session, as you are uh, very well familiar with, um, when the bill had the 7% plus inflation cap, which was more lenient, CAA opposed it. Um, they definitely opposed the just cause uh, provisions. Um, in fact, a separate bill that had those provisions by your colleague Rob Bonta couldn't even get a vote in the assembly floor, and that was primarily due to how uh, opposed CAA was. What what changed? What's in it for C- CAA now, the Landlord Association, and is it at all related to the 2020 Rent Control Initiative?
1: Well, I'll say a few things. Um, CAA did say a number of months ago uh, that the CPI plus 5% standard, they didn't feel comfortable with that. And I very much appreciate that today, they're not opposing the measure. Uh, because I think there's a, a widespread understanding among the professional landlord world that uh, that they can continue to make a fair rate of return at a CPI plus 5% level. What I'll mention is, in the state of California over the past decade, average rents have increased about 3.5% a year. So CPI plus 5 is almost double what average rent prices have have been, uh, and I've heard from professional landlords around the state that that is something that's doable. Um, there were some other elements of this bill to tighten some language around, say, vacancy decontrol, which uh, which this bill does not impact. Um, and and for, uh, to,
2: that's the ability of landlords to raise rent to whatever they want when a tenant leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And 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 we really, uh, this bill didn't really touch Costa-Hawkins, vacancy decontrol, and and, and we tightened the language to ensure that, and that was important to, uh, to the landlord world.
0: Respectfully, I don't know if that answers the the question, though.
1: Oh, you you had a part of the question around uh, next year's ballot measure.
0: Yes, that's right. So,
1: uh, so there is a uh, there are signature gatherers on the streets of California right yep. now that are collecting signatures around a ballot measure that would amend so-called Costa Hawkins. Uh, and I support amending Costa Hawkins. Uh, this deals with the rules around uh, around rent control. Uh, and uh, and 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 that impact on on millions of of tenants who live in current rent control cities, um, that measure uh, is something that has not been able to get through the legislature. And Michael Weinstein from the AIDS Healthcare Foundation has decided to go back to the ballot yep. for a second time. The first time he tried to uh, repeal the entire. Uh, costa hawkins act this time he is more surgically going after certain elements of of costa hawkins and um and he's doing this because the legislature because sacramento our state capital has not acted in a major way to protect tenants and so very much understand his motivations and why he's trying to do that and as i've been telling my colleagues and and the public if our legislature fails to act this year um, Voters will have to have another conversation about this because clearly at that point, it will probably be proven that Sacramento can't get our act together to do something. Now, I'm very hopeful at this point about where our bill is, and hopefully being able to move something to the governor's desk within the next uh, within the next week. Um, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see where that conversation goes.
2: But that's likely to happen no matter what. I mean, he said going to the voters again. The, uh, Michael Weinstein has said he's not going to pull this initiative um, if your bill passes, and in fact, he opposes your bill, thinks it's too too weak, and so what incentive do lawmakers have or various industry members have to pass something like this if there's going to be another potentially $100 million fight uh, on the ballot again next year? Uh,
1: you know, I um, I haven't spoken to him for a number of weeks. I know he had opposed the previous version of the bill, which was at CPI plus seven. Now it's at CPI plus five. The he previous told me version he was at... that as well. So, um, again, appreciate his perspective. And there are elements of Costa Hawkins that, that should be changed. Um, but I think that for those of us who are policymakers in Sacramento, uh, as as I've said, for Sacramento to not move forward with any protection, tenant protections, uh, means that we are unable to address this element of the housing crisis. And it does bolster the reason to, to move and do something at the ballot. We'll see what happens if this bill passes. Um, and politics is fluid. We'll see what Michael decides to do with the ballot measure.
0: Were you guys all in a room together like I imagined it? <laughs> Smoke filled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, or uh, maybe
1: jewel filled or something these given, days. Yeah. Given that that uh, <laughs> many of us uh, are not uh, not particularly supportive of uh, tobacco usage, particularly in inside buildings, there are no smoke filled rooms that I'm aware of in Sacramento. Um, mm. I would say in the last you know couple of weeks there were many conversations in many different rooms. The governor's office was really uh, leading the convening of the a lot of stakeholders. The room where it happens. Gotcha. In the last couple yeah. weeks. Were there and, snacks? And <laughs> I think it's fair to say that it was the room where it happens. I happen to know in that. That particular room, I think there were cookies—chocolate oh, ah, okay. chip cookies. Nice. In fact, I had one just two days ago in that room. <laughs>
0: organic, I'm assuming, if it's—I
1: don't remember if they were organic. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Let's
0: get research on that. I'll bring that up, <laughs> I'll bring that up with the governor. So, staff. in none of these um, meetings, where there may or may not have been organic cookies, there was never a discussion of okay the state party might back off on supporting uh, the rent control initiative, or somebody might back off on supporting the rent control initiative. The governor might be opposed to the rent control initiative, et cetera.
1: Not in any of the conversations or rooms that I was in. Okay. Okay.
2: Uh, i asked a couple policy questions about about the bill. I've talked to a few landlords and economists who have are uh, brought up this sort of perverse incentive that landlords may now have if this bill were to pass to actually increase rents every year even if they were currently keeping them below market out of fears that um, you know if there's they want to do a one time thing they no longer can are you worried about that? You know, folks may be getting more rent increases than they otherwise would have because of
1: this, uh, because the rent cap would be in place. So I've heard of this concern. I mean, the irony of raising this concern by opposition is the reason we're doing this is because landlords are raising rents 20%, 50%, 100%, and we're trying to do something about that problem. Um, and I would also say that. Uh, landlords raise the rents as much as the markets can can bear, um, and so if it turns out we have a down market, I'm not that worried in that market. If if renters aren't able to pay a certain level, that we're going to see uh, increases of of that type. But but clearly, we'll be monitoring this if the bill passes. An- another
2: question along these veins: There's a, a lot of uh, some a lot of the rent control research um, suggests that the more rent controls that are implemented or the more limits on rents that incentivizes conversions to condominiums. Um, uh, are you worried about people wanting to get out of the rental market either because of, of uh, this bill or because of what this bill symbolizes that the state's, you know, w- going in this direction for taking, um, being willing to put limits on rent?
1: You know, I think um, y- uh- let me let me let me start by saying that the, the long-term answer to all of this is we have to just build a ton more housing, and 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 I'll be the first to admit that this bill doesn't doesn't do that, um, and we need other policies to move forward to build again some of the three and a half million units of housing uh, of, of 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 housing that we have, um, but when it comes to incentives for landlords, uh, we do believe that this bill strikes the right balance between protecting tenants from egregious rent increases while providing landlords with the ability to make a fair rate of return. We have heard from landlords that they believe that their business is not going to be threatened fundamentally uh, with this cap because on average, every year for the past decade, even during this overheated housing market, landlords have increased rents by 3.5% a year. And so telling a landlord you can actually increase it up to 8% gives some comfort that there's headroom if if they need it.
2: So you keep bringing up uh, issues about building more housing. Um, the other state, uh, one of the other states that, that passed um, strong restrictions or restrictions at all um, on on rents this year, Oregon, uh, did that. They did their own rent cap, a seven percent plus inflation. Um, they paired that though later in the year with a bill that uh, ended essentially ended single family zoning in the state and, and aimed to increase housing production. Uh, that's not happening here this year. Uh, what what does that mean? I mean, you're not. That doesn't sound like you're kind of following that path of uh, of pairing renter protections with with efforts to increase
1: growth. I would have been happy to do that. I wish that we had uh, production measures that were uh, were designed to significantly increase production. I do think that we have to take a look at our state's um, very undense zoning in in many parts of California that that desperately need more housing. Um, I wish that we were able to, to move forward this year as we're moving forward the Tenant Protection Act, uh, pro-production measures similar to what you just referenced in Oregon. Uh, it is my profound hope that this fall moving into next year we'll be doing a lot of, uh, have a lot of conversations on how to do exactly that. So
0: speaking of producing housing and specifically affordable housing, you had a bill that you've been trying actually to get through for a while which would have increased the low-income housing tax credit which is the uh, lifeblood of affordable housing development in California. Actually, more specifically, you would have made an increase in funding permanent at $500 million per year in perpetuity, basically. That bill failed to advance. What happened?
1: Uh, well... Um so this is a bill that I've introduced. It's, in fact, it's the only bill I've introduced every year since I was elected now five years ago. Uh, and I'm a believer in the Affordable Housing Tax Credit because it has been the mainstay of how affordable housing has been funded in the state. Every state affordable housing tax credit dollar we invest uh, accrues two federal tax credits from the Trump administration and Washington to help build California-based affordable housing, as well as uh, other local and private sector dollars to do this. It has been a very effective tool of building affordable housing. Um, I've championed this. When uh, Gavin Newsom was on the candidate trail as a gubernatorial candidate, he committed he was going to increase funding by half a billion dollars for this tax credit, which I was really happy about. So we reintroduced the bill this year in the budget. this year's budget includes a half a billion dollar increase to the tax credit. My hope is that that was going to be an ongoing source of money because the affordable housing markets need to rely with some predictability on what that looks like. Uh, but unfortunately, I think others believe that, you know, we don't know what the future economy and the future budgets going to foretell. So because of that, we should only be making decisions really year by year. And thus the bill that would have made it a forever thing did not move
0: forward. Yeah. Are you planning on bringing that back next year?
1: We'll certainly have conversations with the governor's office about whether that that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I thought you were going to reference the bill of mine that just got off the floor today that's going to the governor's desk as of an hour ago that would increase density bonuses for affordable housing projects, which I'm really excited about. So it's uh, one of our other housing bills that uh, will allow us to stretch scarce affordable housing funding to build more units uh, wherever we're building affordable housing, and this is something that is direly uh, needed by affordable housing developers to, to, to build more, to build more densely, particularly around transit.
2: So my understanding is that w- an early version of that bill would have, uh, and maybe it's still still, still the case, um, would have also applied to single-family zones. Is that still correct? Or, um it, uh it, or or lower certainly lower density zones than than typical correct that's right and yeah. there
1: was there was an element of the bill uh that provided a bit more density around transit and job right. areas so we, we we flexed up the possible density in those uh in those parts of the state
2: for for deed restricted low income
1: Correct. That's right. So the idea is uh, around transit, around job-rich areas. uh, We need more housing, period, because that's good for a whole variety of reasons. But in particular, we need to make sure that uh, we're not seeing gentrification, that people of all economic backgrounds can live next to transit and job-rich areas. So uh, this is something we want to do by increasing density in that type of housing.
0: Let's talk about redevelopment real quickly, speaking of a permanent affordable housing funding source. So you had also introduced a bill earlier this year that tried to revive redevelopment. Um, you ended up dropping your pursuit of that bill. And now there's a, I've been calling it redevelopment but not redevelopment really, bill from Senator Jim Bell, a Democrat from San Jose, um, that I believe is in your chamber now. Mm-hmm. Do you support that bill? And what are your hopes for the future of uh, redevelopment?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, when, when redevelopment was eliminated... Uh, Under the former governor during the middle of the Great Recession, it gashed a hole in statewide affordable housing funding to the tune of about a billion dollars a year and is one of a number of reasons why affordable housing funding has been so challenging. And so in the last couple of years, I've been working with my assembly colleagues to to bring back a tool to give local jurisdictions an ability to use tax increment financing in a smarter way than was done in the past because there were some abuses and some issues with what was happening with so-called redevelopment 1.0. we moved forward uh, our bill this year. Um, It didn't actually die. It's become, in our Parliamentary parlance—a two-year bill—yeah, because Governor Newsom made some very um, strong uh, pointed statements. Yep. He that does not he, like it. No. He, well, what he said was, "This is not the right time for it," and 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 I say it that way because during the campaign trail, he said he wanted to bring back some version of redevelopment tax increment financing tools, but I understand uh, that he wants to sequence what it is that we do, and at this from at this point. Um, he wants to move cities to be as ready as they need to be, to allow for as much housing as they're going to build, to, to force them to upgrade housing elements, and to uh, to make sure their planning and zoning rules are are updated before we start the conversation of of a new uh, bucket of money that they can that they can rely on. I have supported Senator Bell's bill. Uh, it is you know these are all different versions of of of, of redevelopment like financing. Uh, we'll see what happens to uh, to SB five in the coming weeks but i do plan to to support it okay
2: uh just going back to to the rent cap bill um are i guess we'll know if not this time next week then very soon after um the fate of that uh the weaker version of the bill uh cleared the assembly by three votes uh with 18 democrats i believe have have that number right um voting no or or abstaining uh what makes you think a stronger version of the bill will um
1: will be able to get passed because we have a stronger coalition, first and foremost, uh, being led by the governor, by the by the Senate President Pro Tem Tony Atkins. Uh, appreciate the the leadership and support of our of our Speaker, uh, but but more broadly, in addition to our amazing tenant coalition and progressive activists and progressive equity groups, as well as labor, uh, we have uh, many of the. Uh, various industry players who were, were, were opposing us in a very intense way on the assembly floor who will not be doing that this time. Uh, and uh, and appreciate that the building industry uh, has said uh, that they don't think our bill is going to disincent production, which was a big issue before. Uh, that the California Apartment Association, who had said that they had issues with this before, they're not going to be opposing this bill. And there are business groups around the state of California who now understand that their workforce is in jeopardy if, uh, if their workers are displaced or evicted uh, unnecessarily. And so... Um, The Silicon Valley Leadership Group, for example, in the Bay Area has just come out in support of the bill, something I very much appreciate. So we have a much more significant coalition. And I would say where the bill is, I think it's very fair. It provides significant protections to tenants. Millions of tenants are going to receive help. Um, But at the same time, it addresses some uh, some of the concerns that were raised before. I think the bill is in a really strong place.
0: Do you remember where you were when you heard that CAA, the Landlord Association, was going to drop their opposition to the bill?
1: I think I was driving my car and I think I got a call from my staffer on that topic.
0: And what was that conversation? What, what was your reaction? I can
1: imagine, you know, it, listen, uh, we all have bills where it, it, there, there's not a bill that's worth fighting for that doesn't have some opposition, but it's always nice to hear that you've done work and because of that work on addressing concerns, uh, opposition is, uh, has peeled off.
0: That is such a tepid reaction, (laughs) (laughs) David. No fist pump. I know. No No, like. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No scream. Yeah. Yeah. No, let's get it. (laughs) None of that. No. No. (laughs) You know, uh, you know. In this case, the, the, the real the realtors were neutral. Now they're opposed. Yeah. The apartment yeah. association was opposed. Now they're neutral. Uh-huh. Uh, this is the political process. Okay.
0: All right, that's it for me. You got anything else, Liam?
2: No, that's it. Thank you so much, Selim.
0: Thank you
1: guys. Thanks for your in-depth coverage of uh, what we're trying to do on housing.
0: Thank you for listening to Me Shelter, the California Housing Crisis Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, housing and data reporter at CalMatters. You can find me on Twitter at MLevinReports. Uh, I'm Liam Dillon with the LA Times, uh, and my Twitter handle is
2: at Dylan Liam. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks.